about discipleship. We'll do that uh, for this week and next week. After that, we'll return to Revelation, finish Revelation just in time for the beginning of Advent. And so that's, that's the plan. Um, we're talking about discipleship largely and how did Jesus do discipleship and how were the original disciples discipled. Um, so that has been our focus. Last week we gave you a word. Remember the word was abandon. Uh, from the, from the, the, the verses, take up your cross and follow me. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself. From that, the first step in discipleship was abandon, to leave behind. This week we're going to give you another, another word, and it, it, um, it relates closely. But the word this week is immersion. You must abandon yourself, and you must become immersed in, in, in something else. And this is, um, uh, we should be aware that, that discipleship is not wholly a, a, a Christian uh, exercise, but discipleship happens everywhere all the time with everybody. You're continually being discipled to or discipling somebody to, to something. You are, being, uh, you are being molded. You are growing. It, it is really kind of a part of the human process. And so when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about how does the human character, how does who you are get shaped to be like who Jesus is, as opposed to who the culture is, as opposed to um, other people you interact with. But in, in that sense, in a real sense, discipleship is a way in which we just denote human growth or, or change, what a human is, is becoming. And so uh, you probably have heard us say that the, the, the Crosswinds motto on discipleship is time plus intentionality equals discipleship. And we're going to kind of re-emphasize that concept today under the, the, uh, the heading of immersion. So once you have left, you left yourself, you've denied yourself, you've taken up your cross, you're going to follow Jesus. What are you going to, what are you going to do? And so that's, that's what we'll answer this morning. So uh, Luke chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Soon afterwards he, that would be Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. The, what I want you to catch there is that, and the twelve were, were with him. Time plus intentionality equals discipleship. What we're saying to you is that if you want to grow into Jesus, there has to be a time investment and an intentionality investment uh, on your part and on the part largely of people discipling you and, and working with you. You need to become immersed in, in something, in, in what you wish, wish to become. And that, that seems to be the way of discipleship with Jesus. Jesus is going about his ministry, and we could have picked many verses from the gospel to make this, the gospels to make this same point. But the disciples go with him where he goes. They experience with him what he does. They see him do ministry. They, they talk to him after ministry. They discuss, uh, they discuss the healings he does. They spend time together. And so this is, a, is an explication, or, or this verse affirms what we have said about time plus intentionality. Um, or it would be better to say we take from verses like this what, what, we, what we believe uh, about it. But the 12 were with him. So 
The question is, if you're going to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, truly committed to, to who he is, to his way uh, of living, to his way of being, if you're going to be that, it is going to take an investment. And part of that is, are you going to be with him? And how are you going to be with him? So we would suggest that that happens that happens predominantly through the, through the church, that God, in his wisdom, in, in his goodness, in, in his plan, he sent Christ to die and, and to draw to himself a people. Those people are called the church. We get to be the, the physical representation of Christ in this time, in this, this place. And we also get to be the one given the, the responsibility for discipling or training up people. We do not have, in, in our own time, the ability to walk physically with Jesus day by day like the 12. How did the 12 learn to do what they did? They learned it by walking physically with Jesus. We do not have that option in this time, and that is why God has given us uh, the church, because in our involvement with other followers of Jesus, we can grow into, into following them. And so uh, just to, to lay that, that out, to lay out this point, um, uh, this point again, I would say this, is that all of you have, uh, uh, you have a name, you have a first name, and you have a last name, right? And I want to talk about your last name. Whatever your last name is tells us a lot about who you are. And whether you like it or not, it, it tells you us a lot about who you are. What I have encountered is that typically people are a product of their last name. In other words, they're a product of the home in which they, they grew up in. The home that you grow up in makes you into who you are. And that is a lot of times true whether you loved the home you grew up in or whether you hated the home you grew up in. You have things about you that are reflective of those homes, who you are. And so in my case, I am a Drake. And, and so if we think about uh, how I became a Drake, right, uh, besides the birth, of, uh, right, I was born into the Drake family. But if you know me and you know my family well enough, you know that I have some traits that are very, 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 very Drake. So how did I become that? I will tell you this, that there was at no point in my family where I was sat down at a, at a table across from an instructor and where I was told, and now this is how you become a Drake. And I was never given a, uh, like we did not have a, a, a manual uh, study this. We didn't have a book. We didn't have lessons. We didn't meet once a week to determine how to become a Drake. I didn't have a one-on-one -on -one Drake mentor even. How did I become a Drake? I grew up in a Drake home. And I am, I am wholly Drake. And so uh, if you know, uh, if you're around me enough, I have a tendency toward, towards humor that might be, uh, that might be uh, sort of crazy. Sometimes edgy, you go, where, where does that come from? Uh, that came from my dad, right? So here's what you don't know about my dad, or, or some of you do, but I'm going to tell you anyways, and I apologize to him, but it, it fits the sermon. So we're going to talk about it. So my dad, uh, especially growing up, had a whole, 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 whole heaping of crazy about the way he did, did humor. And when I, when I say crazy, I absolutely mean that as a compliment. I mean, like, best home ever to grow up in. Just crazy, 
right? And so I remember one time sitting at the table and we were having mashed potatoes and my dad made the mashed potatoes into a snowball. Well, technically that'd be a potato ball, wouldn't it? He made it into a snowball-shaped ball of potatoes and he threw them at my, my sister. Now in some homes you'd say, you don't do that. That's, that's not my home though. In our home, we do do that, right? Uh, I remember uh, another uh, another time my dad was uh, was was uh, juggling uh, plates uh, like uh, like dinnerware. Um, here's the thing about no break plates: it's true they don't break. And so uh, he was juggling it, and one of them hit the corner of my mom's uh, uh, end table, put a little dent in the end table, and my dad picked it up and said, "That never happened." Right? So we do that kind of thing. My, my favorite Drake thing, and this sort of shows the conflict of, uh, of being Drake ever, the, the, the favorite Drake thing that ever, has ever happened, and I've told this story before, but it still, to me, defines my childhood and growing up, is that it was, it was a little event we called the Flying of the Turkey. So the Flying of the Turkey took place on a night that we called Thanksgiving Eve. So you see that we have traditions and rituals in being, in being Drake. Most people do not celebrate Thanksgiving Eve. We did celebrate Thanksgiving Eve, and this is how we celebrate it. My dad was responsible for cooking uh, uh, the turkey and getting it ready and putting it in, into, into the oven. But before he would do that, what he would do was, was sort of a long-form comedy routine using a, uh, a, a turkey. Uh, so let me help you. <laughs> help you picture. So you take the turkey out of its turkey wrapping. You wash the turkey, right? And once the turkey has been been washed, you can do lots of really, really funny things with the turkey. You can fly it around the house. And uh, I should point out, we're, we're a big family. We're not one of your one of your little families where you could get just, like just a little turkey breast, which would be like, ooh, not as fun. We're a big, big family, right? You add in all of the kids. I'm the youngest of five. You add in extended family. It's a big turkey. Never, never a turkey under 25 pounds in, in, in our family. So you take a big turkey and you see a person going around doing comedy like flying a big turkey. Stuff gets really funny, right? I, I saw him once actually throw the turkey, the 20-pound turkey, to my mom, right? So I've seen stuff. And I always loved the turkey. And so even after we got got married, the kids got married, we would go home for the flying of the turkey. You'd had to be there on Thanksgiving Eve. Unfortunately, that event, this tells you about the other side of who I am, that event one time went too far, apparently. And, um, and there was a diaper put on the turkey. Okay? It was a clean diaper, but there was a diaper put on the turkey, and, uh, and apparently... The picture of the diaper being put on the turkey with the turkey looking like a, like a, like a baby turkey, I guess, uh, was too much, and my mother shut down forever the flying of the turkey. Nonetheless, if you wonder why I do and say some of the things I do, I, I say, by the way, I am the perfect amalgamation of like my parents, who they were, designed me to be a church planter in some of the stuff I do. But if you wonder why I say and do some of the, I'm a drake right? I never had a lesson. Like, they never sat down and go, hey, here, <laughs> here's how you say things to your kids that'll make your wife annoyed. Like, I didn't get that lesson. I learned it, though, right? I learned, like, we say some stuff. And so, your family may, may be different than that. Like, like, maybe your family kept that stuff all on button down all the time. Not mine. 
little crazy, and I, again, say that as a compliment. My mom, on the other hand, uh, is not known for, for, uh, for her crazy humor. Uh, she's not known for her, uh, for, for her jokes. Uh, I've heard her only once or twice uh, try and tell a joke, a funny, a funny story, and honestly, she can't get through it without laughing uh, so hard that, that she can't even get through it. Uh, just quickly, a couple years ago, uh, one of my brother-in-laws told my other brother-in-law that he could cook bacon on the grill uh, and forgot to mention that there was a pan involved. And so then my other brother-in-law tried to put bacon on the grill directly, and apparently there was a giant fire. But one of the funniest things that came out of that was my mother enjoying the, the story, but being completely unable to tell it, because she just would die and laugh. But here's, here's my mom. My mom tends to have strong opinions about pretty much everything, right? Like, if you ask her, she would have an opinion about that. She thinks something about that. She'll tell you what she thinks about that. She, um, so for those of you who don't, don't know my, my mom, my mom uh, has kind of a progressive disease, so she does not get out, out a lot. But uh, it was sort of fun in the, in the early days before they sort of figured out, out medication where people would say stuff to her that she disagreed with, and she would just tell them what she thought about it. Because I remember there was one incident where a woman who thought that, <laughs> believed that she had the ability to do alternative medicine and heal people based upon nothing that seemed very scientific. And my mother, not, not being very well at the time, this woman came up to her and said, you know, just let me test you. Let, the, let me do this testing for you. I'll make you better. And my, my mom, bless her, just sent her and said, you know, I don't think I'm interested in that. It kind of sounds like witchcraft to me. Um, <laughs> which was, by the way, what everybody else wanted to say, but my mom... My mom did say, I think. Um, and so the fact that I have strong opinions, the fact that I say things, the fact that we stick by things, uh, the fact that, that there is like, uh, like being Drake is, is great. I love it. You got to learn to adjust that and turn that down when you get married though, right? Because like you learn there's a way to do things like implicitly. There's the Drake way to do things and it's the right way to do things and it's the way we've always done things. And so you got to learn to turn that down, dial it back, learn, learn to mix mix in, right? I honestly think as a church planter, as a human, I am very much the amalgamation, the, the combination of who my mom and who my dad are. I, I, I am so strong on opinion. I am slightly crazy, right? I'm all of those, those sorts of things. The way I parent my, my children is very similar to how my dad parented me. I have a, I have a strong belief that it is the, the mom's job to teach the child to be protected. It is the dad's job to teach a child to take risk. We practice that in, in, in our home. That is directly from, from my home. Here's, here's the point I want to make, though, and it goes back to the thing I said. I, I picked up all of those, those things. My my character, my personality, all of those things are very, 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 very much Drake. And that's actually very true of all, all of my siblings. It might be differently expressed, but, but we've been developed by that. So how did that happen? Well, again, none of that happened when I was sat down. Like, there is no, no like, three-week primer on how to fly turkeys, right? That would be awesome if there was. But there's not. There's not even, in our day and age, there'd be a YouTube series. There's no YouTube series on how to properly do that without, uh, without getting it shut down. Uh, there's nothing, uh, like my mom doesn't <laughs> didn't, didn't sit us down and go, okay, when they say this, you hit them with this, 
right? This is how you, we didn't do that. How did we become Drakes? We grew up in a home where there were Drakes. And so the reality is, the reality is, is that our, our crosswinds dictum, our, our crosswinds way of saying is time plus intentionality equals discipleship, always. The reality is time equals discipleship. Intentionality is how you make it Christian, right? It is how you make it do something. But the, the, the children who grow up in your home will be like you, whether you like it or not. And a lot of times, whether they like it or not, right? Because some of you honestly grew up in homes where you're like, my home was awful. It was terrible. I don't want to be like that. And yet there's still a reality that there is a lot of your character that has been formed by that. A lot of your subconscious, a lot of who you are. And so I say all of that to, to say this is that, so we have been designed by God for this kind of development, for this kind of discipleship. That's why we see here that Jesus, when he is going to train the disciples up, he does talk to them. He does, does all of those kinds of things, but we don't see how Jesus lays out, okay, disciples, we're going to put you in to being a disciple 101 class, and when you finish being a disciple 101, disciple will move you to disciple 102. And if you do well enough, and at some point, we're going to move you on to discipling 105, and if you pass that, you get to go to 200-level disciples, and then look at all the things you get to do. Jesus doesn't do that. What does he do? He goes about his business of, be, of doing ministry, and he brings them with him, right? I have always believed that the best metaphor for how discipleship should happen in the church is the family. It, it is the family that spends time together. It's the family that is together. It is the family that, that is continually becoming more and more and more like you. This has historically been true of, of, of crosswinds, hopefully on deeper spiritual things, but it's also been true uh, on other things. So much so that I knew that uh, I can't even remember what the, what the saying was, but I remember starting to use a saying that, it, that annoyed my wife, but I was with Crosswinds guys enough that they all started using it enough to annoy their wives. And so that is not a good example of anything spiritual happening, but it is an example of a reality is that when you spend time together, you become like those you spend time with, which has both a positive and a negative uh, a negative correlation. And so we're going to take it positively, but I would remind you of the, the negative correlation. If you are spending your time immersed in relationships with people who are not trying to positively disciple you, not trying to be intentional about making you more like Jesus, if you are spending your time with them and you are not connected enough into solid discipleship elsewhere, it is likely that you will become like them and what you will become a disciple of is not Jesus Christ, but of 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 wrongdoing. And so, and the 12 were with him. How did Jesus disciple? He brought the 12 with him. The, how do we disciple then at, at Crosswinds? What, what, do, what do we believe? What do I think? I, I think it's very similar. We need to spend time together. We need to spend time with one another. We need to be intentional about it. We need to be, be on, on top of it. That is why we've sort of, uh, uh, Pastor Dave and I, as we, we talked, we sort of made this the year of discipleship. As we sat down, we go, what do our people need? They need to grow deeper into Jesus Christ and help other people grow deeper into Jesus Christ. This is the year of discipleship. How does that happen? It happens by growing deeper into Jesus Christ and spending time with other people. You're helping grow deeper into Jesus Christ intentionally. That's how it happened in Jesus' time. He did the ministry and he brought the disciples with him. And their contact and their time spent with the Lord caused them to be more and more like the Lord. And so 
And so at, at, at Crosswinds, that is why we have always put a huge emphasis on, on things like, you go, well, why do we, like, missional communities and stuff like that? So missional communities don't always work perfectly. In fact, schedules are horrific. If you're responsible for trying to schedule a missional community, what a horrible, horrible job that is because people are always doing something. And honestly, I'm often trying to schedule my missional community, and I realize that I'm the problem because once you get teenagers, and you get teenagers that are involved in anything, whether it be sports, drama, or job, you are busy every night of everything. You're like, well, I only have 17 things on this night. If I move that around, maybe I could do that. It's, it's horrific. And sometimes you go, well, maybe we should give up on that. Why don't we give up? Because of this reality. You need to spend time together if you are ever going to help each other become more like Jesus Christ. That is a simple reality. There are people out there who go, yes, I follow Jesus, but I don't really do church. No, you say you follow Jesus, but you don't because of the second sentence. Like, you show me a person not attending church, and I will show you a person not acting like a disciple. That is an idea foreign to Scripture. It's an idea foreign to, to, to how Jesus did disciples. It's foreign to everything. You don't grow into being more like Jesus unless you're around other people who are helping you to become more like Jesus. That's the, the reality. While we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit himself is the ultimate discipler of men and women, God works through means. Let us never, as, as reformed-minded, uh, uh, um, uh, Calvinistic-minded people who believe in the sovereignty of God, uh, retreat in, into sort of, a, into sort of a, a posture where then we, we become, uh, become weak-minded or, or lazy or, or just... Um, uh, like feathers tossed about, ab about by the wind. That is not the, the calling of Scripture. God is sovereign. He is completely in control. The Holy Spirit is the discipler. But God works through means. That's how his sovereignty has chosen, uh, how he has chosen for his sovereignty to function. So he has given us the church and he has given us the people in the, in, in the church so that we might become more like him. That is how he is discipling us and it's how he discipled. And so that's why we emphasize things like huddles. It is why we emphasize things like missional communities. It's why we spend lots of time together. That has always been sort of the hallmark of, of Crosswinds is that we spend time together. I have a conviction, and the conviction is simply this, is that if the guy at the grocery store has more impact in your life than the people in your congregation, and you see the guy at the grocery store more, you need to either spend more time with your congregation or find another congregation because you are not getting what you need to become more and more like Jesus. We cannot continue to allow every other thing in this culture that would disciple us, our group of friends outside the church, our, our friends at work, our unbelieving uh, family, all of these sorts of things, these things that would disciple us, we cannot allow them to continue to disciple us and not work harder to be discipled by, by God's people and, and our mutual relationships here. That is, I believe, completely and fully scriptural. Uh, drawing And again, I said I could have drawn this from anywhere, but I just wanted to emphasize Jesus walks through the, through the villages. He proclaims and brings the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Together is how we grow. And so you must, if you are going to deny yourself, if you're going to take up your cross, the next thing you must do is you must become immersed into Jesus. And so... Uh, 
We will talk about that next week on a devotional level, what that means, what that is coming up. But on a, on a social level, you must become immersed into the people of God. You are, you are a called out one. The word ecclesia church means the called out ones. It, it always referenced a gathering. Uh, it's actually taken, you go back far enough, and it was a secular word for, for, for a gathering. And it's been ta- it was taken over and used in, in the New Testament to be the called out ones, the gathered ones. We're called to be gathered ones. We're called to have impact in, in each other's life. We could go all over scripture. Look no further than Acts chapter 2. When the believers were together, they had all things in common, right? So uh, I'm just trying to uh, bolster that argument that, that I'm making. And so, so you must be immersed into discipleship. You must immerse yourself. And the way you do that in our time is to be immersed into a congregation and a group of people who are helping you and working with you and loving you and being honest with you and looking into your eyes and when you sin saying I love you but stop right that uh, I care for you but don't when you're about to make the wrong decision they say no that's not right you must do this and so frankly I, I'm not suggesting that here we have a huge problem but let me talk to your hearts about your level of commitment to the people of God right and so if this ticks you off enough that you're like I'm going to go find another church well do it but remember what I am about to say okay even at that next one you will not grow in Jesus if you do not find a significant level of commitment to the people of Jesus. And the people of Jesus that, that, he, has, that, he, has, that, he, that he has made are the ecclesias. We talked about it is the church. Whenever the New Testament talks about, about the church, it may have a universal aspect, but there is a local body being referred to. That's We just are going through Revelation. Who's it written to? The seven churches in Asia. Actual physical locations that exist. Actual physical congregations. They got together. They met. All over scripture, that is the idea. And so we need to, if we are serious about growing in Jesus, we must be serious about our commitment to the congregation of Jesus. You will not grow on the level you need to grow if you do not commit to the people of God. And so so I do not think that we have, have a problem with that in this congregation. It's not my suggestion. It's just a reminder that, that when some people think those people are just too committed to their church, I do not see that as being an actual problem. That's not a thing. We, can, we need to be committed to each other on a deep enough level that we can grow into what we need to grow in that we can become who we need to be. If, the, if our desire is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, if our desire is to be conformed to the character of Jesus, we need to be with the people of Jesus. That is the means by which Jesus has chosen for that to happen. And so as you walk through things in your daily life, as you walk through struggles in your daily life, as you walk through hurts in your daily life, as you walk through things where confusion in your, your daily life, you may be tempted to pull back from the congregation. You may be tempted to pull back from other people. You may be tempted to pull away. I just want to encourage you that that is not the answer. It will not fix what ails you. When you encounter struggle in the life, I am 100% sure that Jesus is the answer, but I am also 100% sure that the way in Jesus is the answer is often mitigated through the people of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ, and that what needs to happen in your character is formed in community with other followers of Jesus Christ. My goal is for your last name to be Christ 
follower, and my goal is for you not to have become a deep Christ follower through any sort of program, any sort of training, in any sort of lesson. We may have those, but the ultimate goal is that you would become that in community and fellowship with other believers who believe sincerely that time plus intentionality equals discipleship, and they would take the time, and they would be intentional about making you more like Jesus as committed to, as you are committed to making them more like Jesus. And so, Whatever ails you in this place, uh, meaning this, this earth, I cannot fix those things. I can only say that what you need in this time is to be more like Jesus, and that is typically mitigated through the church of Jesus. So in struggle, in all of that kind of thing, do not pull back. So, so Jesus immersed the disciples right away, right? They go with him. Then I want to show you another thing that happens. Chapter 9, verse 1 of, of Luke. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. We're called in to the community of believers. What are we called into the community of believers for? Why did Jesus call them to walk with him? What was he training them for? Jesus does this thing is that he brings the disciples with him and he lets them walk with them and what he lets them walk with him in is typically carrying out his ministry on this earth and so they see Jesus heal they see Jesus preach they 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 see Jesus care for the care of the sick they see Jesus have authority over demons. They see all that Jesus has done. They've been with him. That's what 8.1 says. He took them with him. And now Jesus is going to see. He calls them together, and he gives them power and authority uh, over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sends them out. And so the first step of immersion is to draw in to the body of believers, to be around believers enough that your character is being transformed, that you're becoming more like him. If the last name of the church is Christ follower, to make sure that you're connected enough to the family that you become, you develop the right behaviors of said family, the right attitudes of said family. The first step is to draw into the congregation to be immersed why? So that the second step of immersion is that you might be sent out, right? There is, <laughs> there is sometimes a tendency uh, amongst churches to draw in so much that they never get sent out. I'll tell you again more stories from, uh, from my youth. I grew up in a church that literally argued over whether it was the church's responsibility to do evangelism. And I've told you that before. But the result of that then was you had people drawn into a congregation and what they, 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 they became was something akin to a country club, a very well theologically educated country club. They knew the right things about Jesus. They knew how to speak things about Jesus. I would not want us to go up against them one-on-one -on -one in a Bible quiz bowl, right? Like if this were a quiz program, I, like, if we go on Bible Jeopardy, I don't think we're going to beat the church I grew up in, right? But an interesting thing happens is if you're drawn in and you start to believe that the drawing in is the only reason that you come together, the interesting thing happens is that you begin to function rather like a country club. And so, again, you do become like each other. Uh, you do start to develop the same attitudes. You do start to develop the same thought processes. You do start to develop all of that. But the reality is now you're a country club and you become exclusive, right? Well, I don't know if that's our responsibility to go and do evangelism. Why would you argue against 
the responsibility. Think of what, what would be the point of the argument? There's two reasons. One is that evangelism is perceived as difficult to do, right? It, it's hard. And two, you've got to let other people in, right? And my, my goal is not to tell horror stories uh, about my past or even about that, that congregation, you know? I think that congregations exist at, at, at God's will. God uses them how he sees fit. That, that's not my point. But in those, that, that same congregation, there would be times when people would come in the back door who would have struggle and have need, and they would not look like other people in the club, and they would be shunned or they would be told to leave. There's a very, uh, a very famous example of a guy coming in, I think, in a heavy metal T-shirt and in long hair and, and being encouraged by one of the, one of the ushers to, to stay in the back and, I think, confronted even on how he looked before he was, it was suggested that maybe he needed Jesus. There's another example where the pastor was, was gone and something in, the, in the, uh, the guest pastor's message affected a man. He came forward, threw himself on the, on the, on the, the um, uh, Baptist churches. We have a stage. There's, there's steps there. We, we kind of call it the pulpit area. He threw himself on the pulpit, laying on those things, weeping and sobbing, and nobody knew how to go over to him or to say anything to him because they were not accustomed to, nor were they prepared for, people with problems coming into their, their congregation. That is not a thing that you expect when you have been drawn so inward that you don't, uh, 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 that you don't know how to deal with that. And so congregations, though we should draw in, though we should be immersed, there is a reason for the immersion. The reason for the immersion is strength for the sending, right? That is why we draw, and even in a, in a congregation like ours, where we, we believe strongly in reaching out, where we believe strongly in evangelism, if you're honest with yourself, we believe strongly in making disciples uh, of the nations. We believe in these things. If you're honest with yourself, it is easier to talk to the people that you know than it is to talk to the people that you don't know. Now, I'll be honest with you, you are getting better at this, right? We recently had an event in the park. We did the picnic in the park, and there were people there who, who did not come from our congregation, probably did not know Jesus, and they were talked to by lots and lots and lots of different people in this congregation. You went out of your way to talk to those people. That is growth, because there was times, there were times, what's that? There were times in, uh, in, our, uh, in our congregational history where we would bring a group over to the park, we would be cooking hot dogs for the people in the park, and most of you would be in a circle eating your hot dogs and talking to one another, and Dave and I would be sweating, talking to every new person, like, and it would just be exhausting. And like, we try and break up the circle. I don't even want to bring up this story, but do you remember when we met in Godfrey Lee and we had that table in the back? And I kept saying to everybody, please stop sitting at that table in a circle. When people come into the, into the church, it is hard for them to feel welcomed in the congregation. But it could not be stopped. It was like a runaway freight train that would not be stopped. Every week there'd be people sitting at this table in a circle and new people would come in. And what would they get? They'd get ignored because no one could see them. I went so far as to put the table away. Someone went and got the table. They brought it back. Like, stop getting in because it's difficult, right? It's hard. By the way, if you think that Dave and I Sometimes people think, well, you're pastors. You love talking to people in the park that you don't know. You don't know Dave or I. I would not say that I love that. I would not put that in my top 7,000, give or take. Don't want to, don't like it, don't enjoy it, stresses me out. All right? Gives me anxiety like you would not believe, but we do it, right? But 
I, I say all of that to say you, you, we really have, have grown. We've grown. You're, you're starting to figure it out. But even in a congregation like ours, which is based upon so many things where we talk mission, 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 isn't it really fun to talk about mission and really hard to do? It's so much more fun. That's why you go, well, why did we change how missional communities are functioning from, from being like missional communities like they were to open tables? Here's why. We spent lots of time getting together talking about the mission that we would do and not very much time actually doing the mission, right? Because something would come up or another thing would come up or it'd be difficult. Mission's hard. But Jesus calls together the, the 12 together. It gives them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and he sends them out to proclaim the gospel of the, the kingdom of God and to heal. You're called in for the purpose of being sent out. And that is difficult, I admit. I do not enjoy it uh, in, in my flesh, meaning that I shouldn't say I don't enjoy it, but I, I don't tend to it naturally in my flesh, right? Like, the natural Dave Drake personality is sit in my office and work on my computer. And then when Dave stops praying, come up here, preach, go back to my, no, I'd go to my Lions game. It'd be almost one, right? But that's, that's sort of natural. It'd be like, computer, preach, Lions game, right? Small group, right? That's, that's my natural inclination. But, but natural inclination needs to be overcome for the cause of the kingdom. It's part of discipleship. And one of the interesting things and maybe this is just an aside, but one of the interesting things I've always found about, about the church of Jesus Christ is that we have this amazing ability to accept people sometimes. Like sometimes we don't, but sometimes we accept people no matter where they are. And so we'll accept some people in, and uh, I want to say this, uh, this gently. So I think I'll quote my, um, my father-in-law who said, I wouldn't say they're peculiar. I'd just say they're odd. Or maybe he said, I wouldn't say they're different. I'd just say they're odd. By which he meant to say something nicer than what he did. But I just remember, but sometimes in, 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 the, in the church, we, we accept people in and, and they have an oddness about him. And so one of the interesting things that can happen is in congregations, you have this mix of, of, of odd people, which is on the one level very right. You've accepted everybody. But then on the other level, at what point does the gospel of Jesus Christ become transformative in their life so that some of their oddness, where their oddness interferes with their ability to function in society and with their ability to be a consistent witness for the cause of Jesus Christ in society, at what point do we go, no, the gospel of Jesus Christ should be also be transformative to personalities? right? And so I've used the example of someone who's really odd and someone who's really out there to say, a lot of times we should bring the gospel to bear on some of that peculiarity and say, yes, we are peculiar people. We're peculiar people because we follow a, a, a savior who rose from the dead. We're not peculiar people because we're a, we're a group of misfit weirdos, right? There, there's a difference. And so if we take the very odd person, that's true. But I would say even if you view yourself as the extremely normal person, there are parts of your personality and parts of who you are that need to be radically transformed by the cause of, of Jesus, by, by the work of Jesus Christ and the spirit of, uh, of Jesus Christ in you so that when I say, I am not naturally 
prone to want to talk to people in the park. That is a fact. But the reality is if we do ministry this morning in the park, I will be there and talking. That's not my natural inclination. It is my calling as a follower of Jesus Christ. The reason I don't have some of that natural inclination is because sin is a reality in this world. And I have anxiety problems. And I have brokenness that is left over from that. And so it is hard for me at times to overcome my anxiety. Yet I work through that and I bring Christ to bear on that. My point is, what part of you should Jesus be allowed to take over and remake and rebuild? So build you not, uh, take you from, from, from odd, peculiar, whatever it is, or just disobedient because you're like, this is my personality. What part of you should he be allowed to take over? That needs to be brought to bear, and that happens when you are immersed into him immersed into a congregation, immersed into people who love you and care enough about you to look into your eyes and say to you, that ought not be. You must stop that, right? And when you love them enough to hear the same back from them, I'm not talking about one-way discipleship, two-way discipleship, we should be able to speak into one another's lives so that we can be called in, immersed into Jesus Christ and sent out by Jesus Christ to do his, uh, to, to do uh, uh, his ministry in, in the world. We need to be sent out. And, and the reason for that parenthesis I just did was this, is a lot of times when people, when we get to the point where we're supposed to be sent, what I hear a lot from people is like, well, that's just not my personality. That's just not who I am. That's just not my gift. I hear you. I hear you. And yet I think a part of discipleship is overcoming, right? Like, we absolutely have gifts and we absolutely have talents and we absolutely have leanings and yeah I don't see any place where where any of Christ's followers are absolved from the work of Christ's mission and our personality is given to us by God but it's also it's also constructed frankly in a family that family is fallen so you have a personality and you have personality traits and giftings constructed in a fallen family, constructed in a sinful world. And so there's brokenness about who you are too. So there's greatness about who you are, but there's brokenness. And so that needs to be overcome in the congregation and with the people who, who you immerse and they're intentional about calling you out on that and asking you to change that so that you can be obedient to the call of Christ. Now, it might look different. The way you do evangelism is going to be in line with who God made you. The way you do ministry, right? The way you, um, what, whatever it means for our time, the way you cast out demons and heal the sick is going to be different from the way I would do that in my natural, in my natural uh, giftedness. And yet, part of being a disciple is to be immersed into Christ, to be sent out by Christ. And if you are not either immersed into him or sent out by him, then I will end where I ended last week. You need to be honest about the fact that you might not be a disciple of him. Right? We talked about this, this last week. It's just about being honest with ourselves. To, to continue to call yourself a disciple or for us as a, as a congregation to allow you to call yourself a disciple, which means follower of Jesus, when you are not following Jesus, is dishonest of us and hurtful to you. So... If you are not ready to be immersed into Jesus Christ so that you can be sent out by Jesus Christ, 
then you need to be kind of honest about where you are. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about willingness. There's a difference between, between what you are able to accomplish as, 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 as Jesus begins to work in you, as the Spirit works in you, and, and what you are willing to allow the Spirit to do in you. And sometimes it, take, it takes years, and we don't know why. That's God's sovereignty. We don't, the discipleship doesn't happen in a vacuum. It takes time. But if you lack the willingness, then what I would encourage you to do is to go back and look into the claims of Jesus Christ and who he said he is and what his authority is and ask yourself, do I believe this? Am I taken over by this? And is he truly Lord of me? Because you might have a problem greater than than just stunted discipleship. You may not be a disciple. Last week, we talked about abandon. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This week, we talked about immersion. And Jesus went, and the disciples went with him so that they might be sent. He gave them authority. Next week, we'll talk about dependence. In, in a lot of ways, next week is the, is the, is the key, the linchpin, and where we, the most important thing for us. But we'll talk about that next week. My encouragement for you is this is draw into the people of God. Lean heavily upon the people of God and let them speak into your life, understanding that they are, that they are, they are following the Spirit uh, and, and trying to help you grow. And you should be doing the same for them. Let your soul, let, let, let your character, your soul, your spirit, all of you be, be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit as carried out by the people of God so that you might be sent out. Immerse yourself into Jesus. He's worth it. Pray with me.